We're uh, continuing in our study of, through First and Second Corinthians. So this morning, uh, we're in Second Corinthians chapter five, which is an awesome um, chapter and definitely one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Um, I think it's okay to have favorites. I mean, it's all it's all good, it's all important, but I think it's okay to have a few favorite places that you really really speak to your heart and that you love to keep going back to. Um, so. You know, we want to continue in on that. Let me just give a little bit of a brief um, from last week, from earlier in chapter 5. Um, we basically went through the first um, 11 verses, and we'll pick up in verse 11 uh, this morning. But basically, Paul is just making this point that we're temporarily here on this earth. That this is, you know, our physical bodies are tense. Um, they're not, you know, permanent dwellings. Um, you know that that this body is prone to break down. Um, it's prone to decay. Um, it's prone to fall apart over time. And really, in the grand scheme of eternity, uh, our our bodies don't last for very much time at all. Um, but then he says, you know, for the person who's a believer in Jesus, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so he actually says, you know, we would prefer to go ahead and be present with the Lord. Is, is kind of, you know, his perspective that, you know, being in the presence of Jesus, not having the old tent anymore, being given a, you know, a more of a, of a permanent house, being like Jesus, like he is. Because remember when he rose from the dead, he rose, you know, had a bodily resurrection, um, that his body is, you know, perfect. And we will be, you know, like him. We will see him as he is, and we will be like him. And meaning, we, we're not going to have a physical body anymore that is prone to decay. We'll still have a body. God made us as, you know, human beings and as creatures who have bodies. Uh, but it's not. We're going to get a, a new one, basically, and it's not going to break down. It's not going to break down. Uh, and so we look forward to that. Uh, and so, you know, we, we talked about while we're here, though, he says, while we're here, whether we're present or absent, our desire, our goal is to be well-pleasing to the Lord. And we, we kind of, you know, really zoned in on some of those questions last week. He's like, you know, when we finish the day, we lay our head down to sleep, when we look back on the day, can we say that that day was lived in a way that was well-pleasing to Jesus? You know, and if we could say yes to that, that's a good day. You know, and it could have been a, a, you know, very different days for different people as we, we have different things. But, you know, so it, it's not even a, a matter of, of so much of the what we're doing, but, you know, the why we're doing it and the attitude that we do it with, the heart that we do it with. What's our purpose here? And he says, you know, it's important to live with that purpose because... Everyone will have to stand, uh, that who is a follower of Jesus, will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And our works are going to be evaluated whether they were good you know, for God or whether they were worthless. It's not an issue of losing your salvation, but there is a p- possibility of losing reward. And we certainly don't want that. Because, and it's not that, again, you know, certainly don't believe that, you know, in your little place in heaven, you know, you're going to have this, like, trophy case that you're going to, people are going to come in and be like, oh, it's so good to see you. How you doing? It's like, oh, I'm doing good. And remember, you know, all these trophies I got from when I was back on the earth. And, you know, how's your trophy case? Is it, is it like mine? You know, I mean, I, I don't, it's obviously it's not going to have that sort of prod and, 
competition and those sorts of things that are so prevalent in our society, our world today, and kind of always have been. But no, it's, I think it's you know, just a way to, to live our lives with thankfulness and to have something that we lay back at the feet of Jesus and we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the life you know, that you gave me. And hopefully we can say that it was a life lived for him. So keep those things in mind. Let's go to verse, tw- um, verse 11. But before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, God, that you loved us first and that you sent Jesus for us. Well, we're thankful that you're a good God, that, you're, that yes, you are God, but you're not just God. You're not just um, a God who is ambivalent to, to us and um, to who we are, but that you've made us and that you've made us in relation to you and that you are a good and holy and perfect God and that you are a God of love and of grace and that your mercy um, is abounding. And so we give thanks to you, God, for who you are. And we just love you and praise you. And we thank you, Jesus, that you went to that cross for us and that there you took on our sin and you paid our debt. And so we praise you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So again, verse 11, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest or made known to God in the hope that we are made manifest or known also in your consciences. And so... Again, he, he has this idea. I think there's two, two ideas that Paul has going on there. Um, and we'll see this. As, it'll, I think this will make sense as we read the, the rest of chapter 5. But it's like, hey, you know, I, I want to live with a reverence for God and a respect for God. And I know that one day I am going to have to give account for how I've lived my life before him. And, you know, I, I, I want to keep that in mind. And I want to I have a, a holy respect or fear of the Lord, knowing that He is great and that I am small. But there's also this this realization that Paul has as he's going to talk here about being reconciled to God and people being reconciled to God, that people need to be reconciled to God because if they're not reconciled to God, then they have an eternity separated from God. And that is certainly a terrifying and terrible thing. And rightly so, it should be. Um, But let's go ahead and read 12 through 21, and then we'll come back and and break it down a little bit. So he says, We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they... Who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. 
we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Um, he says, you know, it seems like the situation here in Corinth and in many places in our world today that, you know, people want to have these ministries that look really awesome from the outside, that look very successful in people's eyes, and people go, wow, that's an awesome, you know, ministry. And, you know, Paul is basically kind of saying, you know, his, his ministry isn't, isn't like that. It, it doesn't necessarily look so grand from the outside and from, you know, outward appearances. He says, you know, he wants them to have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. And that's one of those things that we need to keep being reminded of, reminding ourselves of, um, you know, on a regular basis, is what's the difference between appearance and reality? And, you know, how are we going to view that in our lives? And this is really crucial because we even see back in the Old Testament um, when Samuel is go, you know, told to go and look for a new king you know, for Israel, he's basically told, you know, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so we, you know, we spend, a, a, I think, a, a pretty fair amount of time on outward things. Even when we just think about our physical bodies, you know, we generally tend to, to care a little bit about, you know, that, that were bathed and clothed appropriately, and you know that, and, and sometimes some of us get you know we we need a haircut for a while. I recently got one. I got one yesterday, um, and it was probably a, a month and a half or so overdue. Um, but you know we we do care, and that's why we we groom. You know that's why we do that. Um, you know and and same sort of things in in ministry though. People can, can do things that make a ministry look like, man, they're so successful. Look at all the money they're pulling in or look at the big buildings they have. But what if that's not, what if there's not really anything beyond that? What if there's not anything spiritual, spiritual reality happening? But the same thing could be true here. You know, look at that group of people and how they're kind of, you know, on the edge and how they do things differently and, you know, that they're, you know, so unconcerned about, you know, themselves that they, you know, meet in a basement instead of paying for their own space and, you know, they, they want to be able to give their funds away and, man, look how awesome they are. Well, what if that is show? Because that can be show too. So you still have to have the reality of the heart before the Lord. The reality of, of one's heart and our collective heart before Jesus. Knowing that man's always going to be looking at the external things. And man's <laughs> going to judge based on what he can see. But God knows the reality. He knows our deepest core motivations. He knows whether, it's, whether it fits for him or for us. We can fool other people. We can't fool God. And really, you know, the idea is we need to make sure that we're, we're known to God. We are made known to God, he says. We are made known to God. 
verse 13, then he says this, and this is kind of cool. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. So he said, it's kind of, you know, if, if we appear to be crazy, if we appear to be mentally insane, it's for God. We're doing this for God. If we happen to look like we have our stuff together and we have a sound mind, well, you know, that's for your benefit. Maybe you'll listen to what we have to say or whatever. But he's not really even so concerned about that, whether he appears to be insane or appears to be, you know, a wise, you know, normal person. How much, again, do you care about those things in terms of how people view you or view us? Are you willing to be viewed as foolish in the eyes of some, maybe even your own family, in order to live in the way that God wants you to live or to do the things that God wants you to do? Because he says, for the love of Christ, verse 14, the love of Christ controls us or compels us. Love of Christ compels us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all so that they, they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Now let's think about this for a second. One died for all. So who died for all? Jesus, right? Jesus Christ. And so he died for all. And so really, we look at it this way, in terms of its potential, the sins of, of every person you know, is paid for. Jesus paid for it. In First John two two, he says, you know that uh, he himself is a propitiation or the full payment for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for also for the whole world. So it's paid for in its potential, but notice he says, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So not all live in that reality. Not all re, you know, receive that payment on their, to their personal account for sin. We know God's you know, preference on this is indeed you know, mercy and merciful. Even if you look at uh, John chapter 3, if you want to turn there quickly, but John chapter 3, and again verse 16, which is, you know, Probably the most, most well-known verse in the Bible. There's a, some really awesome verses right behind it. We'll read 16 through 18. But it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, verse, verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Again, what's the purpose of God you know, here is reconciliation, redemption. He didn't sin for the purpose of condemning. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come so that God would have you know, another good reason to condemn us. He's got plenty of reason already because we're all sinful. So he didn't send Jesus for the purpose of you know, adding to the condemnation of the world. 
But verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So why is a person condemned now, ultimately? It comes down to that lack of faith, that lack of trusting in, that lack of believing in Jesus Christ for salvation. At this point, because Christ has gone to the cross, it's like, yes, our sin makes us guilty before God, but that's ultimately, at this point, I don't believe we even really send someone to hell. But rather the lack of belief in Christ. The lack of belief in Jesus. That that is the critical issue. Because when you know a person is being judged by God, the issue is not have you sinned or not sinned. Because we've all sinned. The issue is, you know, is the payment of the blood of Jesus on your account? Do you stand justified before God because of his payment or not? So, do you have the blood of Jesus covering your sin? Having paid for your sin is the ultimate question. Not whether or not you've sinned. Because again, we've all sinned. It's what comes down to Jesus. People go to hell because they reject Jesus. That's what it comes down to, ultimately. I mean, and I, I, I don't want to, you know, overstate that. I mean, certainly the scripture says that the wages of sin is, you know, death. For all of sin, false word of God. For the wages of sin is death. You know, that's our just desert. But. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's a gift. It can only be received. It can't be worked for. It can't be earned. But people ultimately, we see from John 3, are are condemned because they don't have Jesus. And so they need him. And so then that gets us to this key Concept that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So a person who you know, receives reconciliation with God through faith in Jesus Christ, through receiving the gift of eternal life, the, the hope and the purpose is that we would no longer live for ourselves. That we would be, you know, we would be awoken. We would wake up spiritually and we would see, okay, let me think about this for a second. God created me as part of the human race. I'm part of this rebellion against God. And you say, well, you know, hey, I wasn't Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, what did I do? Well, you have fully participated in it at this point. If you have any number really of years on you at all. You have certainly rebelled against God in your own ways, in your own heart, in your own sinfulness. You were alienated from God. You were separated from God in your trespasses and sins. And yet Jesus, because God loves you, Jesus comes and dies for you. And he's risen. So really he owns you and me. If we believe in Jesus, he owns us twice. We're twice bought. And so we should wake up to that reality that this isn't about me. 
in that my purpose for my life can't be just to make me happy or to gratify my own flesh. But it has to be about him, that we would live for him. So really, we live for a person, a person, Jesus Christ, who is God and man. We live for a person, and that is our purpose. That Jesus himself is our purpose. And the rest is details. It can be important details, yes, but the rest is details. Do we get that? Jesus is it, and the rest is details. And if, and if we have it in our heart, Jesus, you're first, and I want you first, and I want to live this life for you, and that's our heart, and that's what we're striving for, if that's you're consistently what you're striving for, then he's going to work out those details to line up for you to be able to best glorify him with your life. And so then we don't have to be so worried and anxious and bothered all the time about the details and, and what's next. And, you know, am I, you know, if you're a person who's God's called to be married, that, you know, you're going to be, you know, that all those things will work out. Or, uh, you know, a job or a career or, you know, the place to live or, you know, all these things of life that we concern ourselves with so much. Those are details. Yes, important details, but they are just details. They're not the purpose. They're not the ultimate. Jesus is that. And we can trust him. If we can trust him with our eternity, our eternal future, that what he did on the cross indeed paid for our sins, that indeed covered us, and that we're going to be eternally with him in his presence, then can we trust that if we will live fully for him, that it'll be for our good? And I want to be careful in how I say that because I don't intend to say that it will be for your ease. It will be for your joy, but your happiness, that's another thing altogether. Joy is something that's promised and guaranteed. You know, if, we're, if we have Jesus first and everything, happiness is not. A life of purpose is guaranteed. A long life is not. A life worth living is promised. An easy life is not. And we need to draw some lines in the sand and we need to say, you know what? In our day and age, this prosperity gospel that's so prevalent and creeps its way in even in when we don't even think it you know that hey if you if you live for God you're going to be blessed and you know we can say yes to that but we got to redefine what blessed means to be blessed is to be in the will of God to be blessed is not to quote unquote have more you want to be really careful about that uh, some of us had an opportunity to go to 
a banquet in Greenville on Thursday that uh, Rock International put on, and um, that's as many of you know what we're you know funneling to build the school um, through them in Tanzania. And uh, you know, I was talking to uh, one of the couples, um, Charles and Asia, afterwards, and it was just kind of this realization that. Many times, from from our perspective, you know, they're going to live. You know, they live in in Niger with their you know little kids, and they're in a in a you know an impoverished nation where you know the average woman has seven children. The average age is like really low. It's like a, it's like the country's a you know they called it like a youth group. It's like the country's a youth group. It's so young, but you know, so many babies won't see their fifth birthday. won't see their fifth birthday. 40% are malnourished. And, you know, we look at it, someone says, man, what a sacrifice to give up, you know, your comfortable life here in the United States and to go live in an impoverished land that, you know, over 99% of the people start off not believing in Jesus and what you know you, your message is. And where, you know, a mob recently came to burn your house down. And, and we look at it and go, what a sacrifice. What a sacrifice. But the people who are doing it view it as a blessing to be part of it. And so what I realized, I said to him, he said, you know, I don't want to say thank you for your sacrifice. I do want to thank you for being obedient to what Jesus has called you to in your life. But I don't want to shortchange you or God because in your life, being obedient to him in this way is a blessing and it's a joy. But do we get that? That whatever God calls us to do, that you know, if, if our lives are being lived for him, that we're going to be blessed and joyful to do it? If our attitude, if the attitude of our heart is, Jesus, this is all about you when it's for you. If we really will not live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again on our behalf. That's powerful. That's powerful. And I have to confess that I'm not always there. That being there is not, getting to that place is not the easiest. And when you're in that place even, it's pretty easy to step out of that place and to get sidetracked. But are you willing to be viewed as foolish in the eyes of some? Maybe even in your own family. Maybe people in your own family don't really know the Lord or they're not very mature in their faith. Or that they just, you know, they have this kind of like, they, they love you to death and they've got this vision for your life and, you know, what you can become. And, and you might say, but the Lord wants me to do this, you know, to live for his purposes to do these other things. 
and not to do what your vision for my life is. That can be awkward and difficult. But are you willing to be viewed as foolish by people in your own family if that's what it is to follow Christ? At least on a temporary basis. Sometimes they come around. Sometimes their minds change about those things. I laugh because my wife's kind of smiling at me right now. Her her mom thought she was pretty crazy to get involved with me. (laughs) Now she doesn't mind me too much. (laughs) But um, (laughs) it's reality. Reality. Now notice what he says here, verse 16. Therefore, now, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. What's he getting at here? What's he, what's he saying? For one thing, you know, Paul didn't even have the right perspective about Christ before he you know, had his encounter on the road to Damascus with Jesus. And so he viewed him very much just in the terms of what he understood Jesus to be. And he's engaging us here even on how we view one another and how we tend to, you know, we tend to categorize people and we put people in boxes very early on when we meet them, right? You know, we, we stereotype, we, you know, we say, well, this is, you know, kind of your, your gender, this is your race uh, or your ethnicity, um, here's your language, um, you know, here's your economic back bracket, here's your educational level, um, here's your appearance, you know, beauty, athletic skills, other skills and talents, whatever they are. And we tend to say, here's who that person is. And, and then we, we go on with that, I like or I don't like or good, or bad. We do all of those things like in the blink of an eye. We, all do, we can do those things so fast. You know, first 30 seconds of talking to someone, but if, or even without the conversation, we just see. We go, country girl, frat boy, thug, cool, uncool, Smart, dumb. We do all those things real fast. And Paul says here, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Like, we don't do that. We don't do that anymore. We've learned a better way. We've learned a better way because even back earlier to what he said, you know, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart, you know, the reality of what's inside. And so that's how we need to view people, is not according to those easy, often misleading characteristics that we observe from our flesh, but we need to observe spiritually, you know, from the Spirit. Viewing one another and viewing each person as a spiritual 
an eternal creature. We get that? Viewing each person as spiritual and eternal. So again, the fleshly things, those are details. Those are details. The big